If you would please tonight, join me in a couple of three places in the Word of God. And uh, I'd like for you to find your place with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. Kind of find your place there tonight. Now, I'm just going to try to be, try to be able to teach you something tonight. I don't feel as rambunctious as that guy that preached this morning. And so uh, I'm just going to kind of chill out tonight. And I want you to do that too. Now also I'd like for you to turn to Philippians chapter number 2. Hold your place there. You have a Schofield Bible. It's 1259. And uh, if you don't have a Schofield Bible, it's uh, just go to the index and you can find it. Now you have those places. I won't, we'll, we'll end up at John chapter 15. And uh, we, we want to talk to you a little bit tonight about a subject that I think is just absolutely forgotten and uh, overlooked a little bit. Just to preface the message a little bit, a missionary in Africa lived in a village which had a small generator. And this small generator supplied electricity uh, uh, to all the church and their living quarters. And some natives came by and, and were just overwhelmed at the electric light hanging there from the ceiling. And uh, they wide-eyed and gazed upon that thing. They didn't know hardly what in the world uh, to think about it. And uh, before they left, one of the visitors asked the missionary if he could have one of those bulbs. And uh, the missionary said, well, sure, I, I guess so. And so the missionary gave him one of those bulbs. And uh, maybe six months later, the missionary was visiting in the village from whence came these, uh, these natives. And to his ultimate surprise, when he walked in, that native had that light bulb hanging from a string from the top of his wigwam or his teepee or his hut. And the missionary was kind of humored by it because it was kind of useless just hanging there with a string. And the missionary explained to the native, the light bulb is no abuse without it has a wire and electricity to it. And everybody laughed and kind of jeered the native. But I wonder maybe tonight if maybe our ignorance concerning salvation, if we think that being saved is all there is to salvation, If we think that salvation is just a parachute to save us when our ship is about to go down. If we think that all there is to it just to get saved, live happily ever after, and do our own thing until Jesus wings us home. We're as uninformed as the native who hangs a light bulb by a string. But yet, majority of those who have been saved never move any farther 
in God's plan than just being washed in their sins. On the job, you'd never know they've been saved. Around the kitchen table, when the family is gathered around to eat, they never thank God for their food. When they're out in public, they're ashamed. And I just wonder tonight, do we think that just having our sins washed away is all there is to God's wonderful plan of salvation. Please allow me to read for you out of the book of Philippians chapter number 2. I'll read for you verse number 12 and 13. And I want you to get something here now if you would please. The Bible said, Wherefore my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean that we got to work to be saved? Does that mean that we believe That the more we do, the more saved we are. What does Paul mean here by working out our salvation? Unless there's more to salvation than just being saved. Unless there's more to God's marvelous and plan than just being saved and redeemed, uh, I believe what he's talking about incorporated within the doctrine of salvation is also the doctrine of sanctification. We cannot work enough to be saved. But I believe with all my heart that sanctification is a joint partnership. Notice this now. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 now. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. How far have you come since you've been saved? How's your temper problem? How's your patience? Uh, How is your joy? Uh, I wonder, I just wonder, who stole your smile? And I just wonder now, if all there is to being saved is going to heaven, then why didn't God just... Take us there the night we were saved. Sure saved me a lot of problems. I know that. What are you doing in partnership with God to work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Of course, now some of you went to sleep when I mentioned the word work. Come on now, go ahead and laugh. We'll have a good time. If we don't, you won't be miserable all night. Really, the employment rate is a bogus. Everybody in town got to sign up. We need help. And you can't find a job. You ain't looking. You say, well, I'm looking for a job that can pay me what I'm worth. Quit. You can't live on it. Just get a job. But the Bible says that you and I are to be busily incorporating work to help God, to aid God, to make available to God our lives so that he may do something in and through our lives. You say, well, preacher, I, I don't hardly really believe that. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and, and turn with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you might say, well... I just believe that sanctification's all of God and none of me. Well, that's what a lot of you believe, and that's why you're no closer now than you was when you got saved. I mean, there's just some things that I had to quit. You see, I didn't ask God to help me quit smoking. I didn't ask Him to help me start. Now, I didn't ask God to help me quit drinking. I didn't ask Him to help me start. I did not need God's help to learn how to suck on Marlboros and uh, camels. And uh, I didn't need God's help to show me how to suck on Colorado Kool-Aid. I didn't have that help at all. Why should I ask God to help me quit when I didn't ask him to help me start? Somebody says, well, preacher, I'm having trouble quitting. Well, I had trouble starting. You don't know how sick I got. Trying to give myself lung cancer. Oh, you don't know how sick I got trying to learn how to chew tobacco so I could play baseball. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't chew it, but it, I mean, but I could let it soak right there. Amen. And I tell you, you just let it soak, and you could spit. But man, chewing it, there's just too much juice went everywhere. And I was standing on second base, third base, first base. Might have been home plate. I have no idea. And I had that big old cud in my jaw. And somebody, I walked by and hit my jaw like that. I just passed out. <laughs> it's difficult learning how to do that. Amen. I wore out a whole half acre of honeysuckles learning how to inhale cools. You say, you are stupid. Are you still smoking? I gave myself, I puked, I turned white, I turned every color in the world trying to learn how to smoke. Why should I ask God to help me quit if I put that much effort into learning how to do it? It ain't time to pray. You folk can look up now. Amen. Well, I've just got a terrible temper. I can fix that for you if you want to take a walk with me tonight about 2 o'clock. We'll go down East Berry. 
And I'll wash you in there. And we'll just walk up to the meanest, burliest looking dude. And I'll tell him, this guy wants to whoop you. I'll guarantee your temper will flee immediately. Oh, but you don't understand, preacher. I get so mad at my wife. Me too, because I do think I could whoop her. I'm not sure. I, I am really not sure I could. That's why I have not exercised my authority as I should have. Do you want to be serious now tonight? Notice if you would please, I read for you in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to talk about uh, sanctification. We're going to talk about a part of salvation that is incorporative to salvation. And it, you, you're not, we're not going to get saved and stop, bless God. God has a plan for us and it is not to get saved and barely miss hell. God wants us to live victoriously after we're saved. Amen. And that's sanctification. Notice if you would please, I want you to look at verse 23. Of the book of First Thessalonians. Now notice. The Bible said the very God of peace. Sanctify you wholly. That's completely. Thoroughly. 100%. And I pray God your whole spirit. And soul. And body. Be preserved blameless. There it is. That's complete sanctification. Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if I knew that or not. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. How many folk believe that? Well, let's start reading in verse 14 then. And we might see that it's a partnership. The Bible says, now we exhort you brethren... Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. I need comfort tonight. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. How you doing? Now, how you doing now in all of those? You, 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 you there already? Are you patient with everybody? There's nobody in the world just rubs you wrong. There's nobody in the world that if you thought you could get over it, you'd run over them with your car, but you, you know you just can't get over it. And, and uh, do you know anybody that's feeble-minded? Do you like being around them? Verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but follow after that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. How you doing? Have we arrived yet? In everything, give thanks. Woo, I have a problem with that. Does anybody here have any problem with that? You see, that's where where we need to go. Uh, That's that's our spot that we're aiming for. That's what God wants us to do. You, You see what I mean? And you say, well, preacher, I'm not there yet. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus concerning you. You've been thankful for everything today. How about yesterday? Did she burn your biscuits? She will. I ask her to right before service. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophecies. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Now we've got a conjunction. I think they told me that that connects two sentences or two thoughts. And because we have been busily working out our own salvation, we've been applying ourselves to don't, 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 do, 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 because we have been doing that and applying ourselves, and the God of peace shall sanctify you wholly. I just wonder tonight if maybe... We're coming up just a little short on this thing in God's plan of salvation. I, I, I believe with all of my heart when the Lord saves us from our past sins, I think we call that salvation. They're gone, buddy. They're gone. When God saved me, washed me, and cleansed me, and redeemed me, that's when I was saved That's what we call in theological terminology as salvation. Would everybody agree with that? But now may I suggest to you, if you would please, after we are saved, after we are saved, the Lord continues to save us from our sins And that is called sanctification. Sin does not have to have dominion over my life. Preacher, I can't live perfect. Try it. God will not hold it against you if you do. I am tired of hearing Baptists cop out. Preacher, I cannot live perfect. Perfect. Then why did God say, be ye perfect as I am perfect? Well, preacher, I cannot live above sin. Then why did God say, be ye holy as I am holy? God will not hold it against you if you finally reach that. And in your pursuit of that, if you come back before you get there, God will finish the job. I'm talking to you tonight about sanctification. Now, if I'm an alcoholic, I don't need to be hanging around outside of the bar. You know what your weakness is. You know the sin that does so easily beset you. And you are not to make any provisions for the lust of the flesh to fulfill fulfill that lust. And you and I know that to be sure. 
If I have a problem with alcohol, I do not need it in my refrigerator. Well, I'm just seeing and testing my will. How's it going? I I just kind of help you a little bit. Would you turn to Titus, please? Titus chapter number 2. I'd like for you to look at that with me, please. And and I'm just about done. You say, why? Because I'm tired. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And let me say to you, nobody daydreams themselves into godliness. Nobody prays themselves into holiness. Holiness and godliness and sanctification don't just come down the pike to everybody that's sitting and saying the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Work out, he said. Work out, he said. Did he say that? Abstain, did he say that? Did he say quench not the Spirit of God? Did did he say that? Then does not take a rocket scientist to know that anything that would quench the Spirit, anything that would tempt me into sin, anything that would... Pull me away from God. I am to abstain from that. That is me doing my part of sanctification. Now that's not the only part. But he worketh in us. Now notice if you would please. And I'd kind of like for you to know this. For the grace of God. That bringeth salvation. Hath appeared unto all men. The Bible said. Teaching us, verse 11 through 14, Titus 2. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You see that? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly. Righteously. I have any amens. And godly. That's that's my part. That's my part. That's my part. Work out, he said, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not your redemption, but your sanctification. You are to help God with that. You say, God don't need any help. How's it going? The Bible said, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Amen. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. You ready? And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. Would you believe that our church has some very peculiar folks in it? 
But now that's not what he's talking about. Hardy's restaurant came out with a breakfast biscuit not too many years ago. And they referred to it as loaded. In other words, everything but the kitchen sink was in that biscuit. (laughs) These four verses are loaded. I mean, those four verses are loaded. Uh, Paul mentioned, or or he mentions, if you would please, Titus, uh, he mentions four things, and either one of them would make a great sermon. For instance, living in this present world righteously, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Living soberly. I, I, we could probably preach on that tonight and, and probably land in some folks' front yard. Do you imagine that? But I know anybody, nobody in our church is living an ungodly, lustful life. Nobody is in debt up to their ears because of Ungodly lust. I know that out in public all the ladies who are members of this church or attend this church never goes dressed in such a fashion that it would be termed as ungodly. I'm not going to preach on many skirts. This subject's too short. All the money that Baptists spend on reconstruction surgery. Not satisfied with how God made us. Old men like me buying rugs (laughs) for their heads. Joe. You could use a rug, my man. Worldly lust. We want. Hey, there's nothing wrong with growing old, and there's nothing wrong with gray hair. Ask me how I know. Every time I grow any color into it. Ashley cuts it off. Hey, what's wrong with majoring on the inside instead of the outside? Somebody says, preacher, you need a tummy lift. Well, when I get up tomorrow, just fall again. You say, preacher, you're going to make me mad. Really, at my age... Do you think I care if you get mad at me? (laughs) Living in this present world. Teaching us. That denying ungodliness. And worldly lusts. We should live soberly and righteously. 
and godly. That, that'd make a real sermon tonight. Don't have time. Secondly, looking for that blessed open glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming. I really do. I, I believe he's coming. Hope he come before I die. I, I really do. I, I'd rather see the upper taker as the undertaker. And I'd rather see a hole in the sky as a hole in the ground. It just sounds better to me. Can you say amen? And I believe the Lord's coming back. I really do. And, and I just want him to catch me, uh, you know, striving to be what he'd have me to be. Working in conjunction, hand in hand, with the Lord in my sanctification. Me yielding and God changing. And me yielding and God changing. And me yielding and God building up. And me yielding and God lifting up. I, I think that would be a, a real good deal if when Jesus came back, he'd catch me doing that. Amen. Now, I'd like to preach on the same. Now, notice, notice, I think we could talk about... Uh, redemption, how that the Lord gave himself for us. But tonight, I'd just like to major on this little thought about God purifying unto himself a peculiar people. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. Contextual, a peculiar person is someone who is in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. It's someone who just does not have a story of what happened years ago, but somebody who has a glowing testimony of what's going on right now with Jesus Christ. It does not mean if your hair is short. I mean, I thought this guy was a converted hippie when he came uh, uh, Sunday night after he got his hair cut. I really thought it, you were your brother. I, I didn't know who you were. Uh, but I, I'm not talking about uh, what kind of clothes you wear. Uh, I, I'm talking tonight now uh, about a, a peculiar individual different than all the rest. Different than the ordinary. I'm not talking about weird. God knows there's enough weird Baptists in the world. I'm not talking about being identified with a fundamental independent Baptist marquee on your back. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, bless God, being someone who is not like everybody else that has a walk and a talk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. A peculiar, a person who can love those who are unlovable. A person who can forgive when maybe somebody ain't asked you to forgive. I'm talking about somebody that maybe emulates, looks a little bit like, and talks a little bit like, and has the same attitude of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a peculiar, different, out of the ordinary kind of person. I'm talking about the kind of person that Daniel was in Babylon. I'm talking about a person that will not sell out to the king's parties. 
and not sell out to the king's fancy and not sell out, bless God, to every whim that comes along down the pike and a individual that will not defile himself for the stinking, no good, hell-bound world. I'm talking about somebody when the king says, don't, if God says, do, they do it with the windows drawn open so that everybody can see Daniel pray. A peculiar kind of individual. An unordinary kind of guy. Somebody that will believe the Bible when nobody else does. I'd like to close, but I'm not going to. I'd like to close with this thought. God has a plan for you. I don't know a better place to take you to show you God's plan and God's work of God making peculiar people out of us and God working out sanctification in your life. You say, preacher, we need examples. I've tried to be that for 27 years. I've forgiven you when you would not forgive me. I've loved you when you have hated me. I've won your relatives while you've cussed mine. That's peculiar. We've kept the standards. We are not bowing down to Washington, D.C. You say, what if it gets hot? We'll just get hot with it. This world needs somebody. And a church that is in the process of sanctification. Of working out. When you get knocked down, get up. When you want to wave your finger going down the freeway in road rage, smile as you go by. Don't do it under the dash so nobody sees it. Please now, I want to read you just eight verses out of the book of John, chapter number 15. Working out, allowing God to work in us, both to do His will. Watch this. Follow me now. As our Lord is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's walking with his disciples. He's walking a land that is fertile for great vineyards. 
Israel is known in the Old Testament as the vine. Josephus says at the temple site, hanging around and flowing down from the temple site is a golden grapevine with a large cluster of gold grapes because Israel was God's vine. Amen. Known throughout the Old Testament. Yes, it was. And she's failed miserably. Like America, she's fallen off into idolatry. Like America, she's turned her back on her God. And Jesus is walking to the garden. Perhaps I don't know, but perhaps the hillsides and the slopes was arrayed with grape orchards, grape vineyards. And Jesus realizing how miserably Israel has failed, he's going to try to teach his disciples a lesson. And our Lord used object lessons occasionally. Flocks of sheep. And as they passed by, Jesus probably told the disciples, Look yonder at that beautiful great vineyard. And he said, I am the true vine, not Israel. Regardless of what's hanging from the brow of the temple, I am the true vine. Got that? And my father is the husbandman or the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me That beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Probably in the vineyard, the owner there, with his sharp knife, at the right time of the year, is going through the great vineyard, clipping off certain Vines. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That it may bring forth more fruit. Jesus said, fellas, just now watch him. Matriculously, he takes that sharp knife, clips one. Reaches down from the ground and picks one up and lays it on the trellis. Some of them wasn't producing any fruit. And those that did produce fruit, the Bible said he purged or he's pruned. Do you ever feel like you're getting pruned? Now ye are clean 
through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in who? Me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Look around. See if you see any withering branches. You know... The kind that the leaves are folded. The green is gone. There's no purpose anymore. Withered. Maybe God called you to preach and you said, no, I'm going to do something else. Withered. Maybe God spoke to your heart at one time and tears would come to your eyes. And God would speak to your heart, but now you've hardened your heart so bad... God speaks, you don't hear, withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. That you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Just a head full of knowledge don't make disciples. Setting through 16 weeks of studies do not make disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. I have four minutes. I have three words I picked out of this. Out of this text. The words are prune, fruit, and abide. See, I don't have any of them lengthy uh, outlines like Professor Andrew. I get my P's hung around my T's and I just forget where I am. Simple. You ready? Pruning. Second, fruit. Third, abide. You know how you will become sanctified, holy, pruning, bearing fruit, abiding. Just that simple. It's as simple as falling off a log. Any of you folks are raised in tobacco country? Anybody? (laughs) If you were, you wouldn't admit it after I said what I said. Well, I never did smoke, but I raised it so you folk could. I don't know if it's sin to raise it or not. I know it's a sin to give yourself cancer. I don't know if it's sin to sell it to you folk to get cancer. But when I was a kid, tobacco was the only money crop that we had. 
We raised so much tobacco every year. And the government told us what lottage we could according to the size of our farm. And uh, sometimes folk got old and you could, you could rent their lottage and plant tobaccos on their place. And the first car I ever had in my life, I raised an acre of tobacco and bought the car. It was an international, in, international truck. And I was so proud of that international truck until my daddy took the bed off and put cattle racks on it. Have you ever been courting in cattle racks? <laughs> and as the tobacco blank grows, there are little bitty tobacco looking things that start shooting out between the leaf and the stalk. They call them suckers. And at a given time, if you want your crop to mature and want it to pay more money, it necessitated to you to go through every row and every plant and personally break off every sucker that was on that plant because those suckers sap the life out of the plant, thusly making your crop none effect. Do you have any blackjack oaks in your home or on your place? Amen. Around the bottom of the tree and all along the tree, you'll have little shoots coming out. Those are called suckers. Those are called suckers. If you don't prune those, if you do not take those off, if you do not purge from those suckers, it will literally suck the life out of the plant. Got any suckers hanging on you? What is it that's sucking the spiritual life out of you? Whatever it is, you need to purge it immediately. Now, I'm sure if I was a grapevine or an oak tree or a tobacco plant... And I had feelings, I'm sure, that every time one of those were purged, it might not feel good. Amen. I might have a whole lot of ouches going on. Amen. Now let me help you a little bit. Grapevines don't prune grapevines. Trees don't prune trees. God does the pruning because he owns the vineyard. Amen. And too often, times, many of us are too busy pruning everybody else that we can't see what's standing in the way of God blessing our lives. Amen. Well, look what they're doing. Shut up. Get on your knees and pray for them. You and I, preachers, teachers, are not in the pruning business. God is. Amen. And we are the vine. He, we are the branches and he's the vine. And branches do not prune branches. Amen. You got that? Amen. You know who prunes? 
God prunes. You say, well, I wish he'd hurry up. I think he needs my help. No, he does not. Have you ever been down to Cook's Children's Hospital? Have you ever seen those little animals they got outside? They made uh, shapes of animals out of hedges. Have you ever seen that? And you ever been to Disney World? They got Donald Clack and they got Mickey Moose and they got Goofy and all of them. And they made them uh, to look like that out of hedges. You know how they did that? Early, constant, frequent trimming. Do you know that may be what Christ is trying to do to us? Is to regularly trim us to be more like Him? Are we here or are we all asleep yet? You see, I kind of picked up on that thing, pruning. A sculptor one time was making a statue of Winston Churchill. And an observer walked by. And he was just amazed. And he said, how in the world do you do that? And the sculptor said, oh, it's not too hard. I just chisel off everything that don't look like Churchill. (laughs) Maybe we need to chisel off everything that don't look like Jesus. Do you think that'd work? Amen. Ain't nothing to it. You just quit everything that he wouldn't do. Pruning. Never comfortable. But I'll tell you one thing. The vineyard keeper did not go through there. With a bush hog. That just proves he wasn't Baptist. When we prune somebody. It is right buddy. We cut them to the ground. But you know what? Our Lord. Is very meticulously and carefully. Using the sharp knife of the word of God. And trying. To chisel us. Into the image of his dear son. Take some pruning. How about fruit? Do you notice it said something about fruit bearing? Verse 4 and 5. Look at this. The Bible said, abide in me. And I knew as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You agree with that? For without me, that's why We have temporary joy. 
That's why we can control our temper sometime. Bearing fruit. I wonder what he means. The source of life flows from the vine. Flows into the branch. And the branch produces fruit. But the life of the fruit is not in the branch. It's in the vine. I don't care how many things you quit, how many new leaves you turn over. There just ain't no fruit without the Holy Spirit of God. Now this is not talking about souls and soul winning. This is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Would you give me this? The DNA of the vine should be the same DNA in the fruit. What is the DNA around your house? Because the DNA of the Holy Spirit you'll find in Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 22. And you start looking for the fruit what is the fruit you'll have to stop in the book of Galatians and you'll find there these words but the fruit of the spirit you got it 5 and 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, self-control. Now, I want to help you. We're going, to, we're going to close right now. Christ is the vine. We're the branches. But now there is a life-giving sap that is transferred from the vine to the branch. And when the sap stops, the branch dries up. You ever notice that? You ever notice how many dry Baptists there is? I've seen more joy at opening an umbrella than I see most Baptist churches. You know why you're not joyful? You're mad. You're mad at somebody. 
Might be your mama, might be your daddy, might be your uncle, might be your niece, might be your brother, might be your sister, might be me. But that is not the DNA of the vine. And may I help you just a little bit. I want to close. You say you've been closed in a long time tonight. Yes. Notice verse 6 through 8. Notice the command is not to bear fruit. Nowhere in the text does God command us to bear fruit. His command is to abide. It's his job to produce the fruit. You can quit all this turning over a new leaf. You can hang your hat someplace else. I'm going to try harder next week. Forget it. Without him. You can do nothing except fall flat of your sinful face. He produces the fruit. Come on now, I I need an amen. It's drying up on me. Abiding is my responsibility. Notice verse number three. He says, abide in me. Verse number seven, he that abideth in me, it is my responsibility to keep hanging in there. It's my responsibility to work out my own salvation. It's my responsibility to abstain from all appearances of evil. It's my responsibility to shun all ungodliness. It's my responsibility to hang in there. It is God's responsibility to produce the fruit. Verse 2, progressive sanctification. Sanctification is progressive. It's God and me working together, God working in me. Notice in verse number 2, Fruit. When I first got saved, 46, 47 years ago, I started quitting stuff. I started quitting the stuff because I didn't think the stuff was godly. And I just didn't think a Christian ought to do that. And, and I started going soul winning. And I started teaching a class. And, and after a while, I saw uh, a little bit of fruit. I started treating my family better and I started treating my employees better and and, and I, I didn't need all the stuff and junk I was doing and, and, and I just started seeing fruit. Huh? And then I, I, I grew a little bit more and yielded myself and walked down the aisle and said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to. Verse 2, more fruit. Give my business away and sold out to God. Took off to seminary and took my four little kids and took them to seminary every morning and put them in the nursery and went to school a half a day and worked half the night, did the work, and then God started giving me more. <laughs> Ain't that something? Amen. 
Where are you at in this progression? And then he says in verse number 8, and I want to show it to you if I may please. In verse number 8 he said, and herein is my father what? It ain't about me. It's about him. And after I grew a little bit more, and after I started reading my Bible, somebody said I ought to start praying and having a daily devotion, and I ought to have a walk with God. And then I come to the understanding, hey, it's not about me. It's not about fruit. It's about glorifying God. And he was glorified by me bearing much fruit. Well, I just thought I'd leave that with you. Now look at this. Verse 8. Fruit testifies about where I am in my sanctification. Verse 8. Testifies to everybody who sees. That where I am in my sanctification. Because it says. God is glorified. And by this. Folks will know. I'm not just a believer. I am one of his disciples. Now. The difference. Is just simply abiding. Just simply abiding. And you can tell the difference because if one is not abiding, they're withering. And if they're abiding, They're bearing fruit. Verse 7. All he asked me to do. Was just abide. Now how do I do that? This is why I need his word. Uh oh there went my notes. I won't know what to say. And that's why. We need each other. We encourage each other. You come and we encourage you to read your Bible. We encourage you to pray. We encourage you to be kind. We encourage you. We need the encouragement. We need each other. We need the church. Most of all in closing, we need the Lord. Because without Him, guess what we can do? 